Greetings and welcome to Union Street Hoops. I'm your host, Paul Oren. You can catch Union Street Hoops, a podcast dedicated to Valparaiso basketball and the Missouri Valley Conference on iTunes, SoundCloud, and NWI.com. And you can catch me on Twitter 24-7 at NWI Oren. Welcome in to a very tough part of the year for the Valpo basketball team. The Crusaders are at a crossroads. Some would say... If you look at the title of the podcast, they're progressing poorly. Uh, It's a nice play on words of Matt Loddick's progressing nicely, which we'll get into when we talk about injury updates for Marcus Golder, Ryan Fizikas, and the injury flare-up that happened with Derek Smits. Valpo is getting ready to go on the road for a game at Evansville where they have not won in 21 straight attempts. Then they're going to go to Illinois State, a team that they barely beat on a buzzer beater. Uh, Marcus Golder hitting one in the conference opener. And then they're home for Loyola, a team that destroyed them earlier this year. And then they're home for Indiana State, a team that destroyed them earlier this year. And then they go to Drake, a team that just beat them. And then Valpo's at home on February 20th against Southern Illinois before rounding out the last three games on the road at Northern Iowa and Bradley and then home again for Evansville. So really between really the next five games look brutal for Valpo at Evansville, at Illinois State, home for Loyola and Indiana State, and then at Drake. Valpo could go 0-5 conceivably in these games or... If Valpo gets back to full strength, you know, a game at Evansville is going to be tough, but Evansville's not great. Could win that one. Have already shown that you can beat Illinois State. And, you know, that was a, a tough game, but Illinois State's getting a little bit better. But maybe on Tuesday, maybe if things progress nicely, you can get healthy. And then home for Loyola. I think Valpo, a couple weeks ago when they went to Loyola, everyone kind of thought, you know what, if they had Fizikas, that maybe this would be a different kind of outcome. And then Indiana State, I don't think anyone thought they would lose when they went to Indiana State, certainly not by 17. And, uh, you know, in a game where Valpo was was uh, once down 23, and we'll get into that game in a second. But, uh, you know, Valpo, these next five games – Evansville, Illinois State, and Drake all on the road and then sandwiched around two home games, the Loyola and Indiana State. This is a, this is a big part of the season for Valpo here as they're sitting 5-4 and four in conference. And, uh, I mean, God, they could they could be 5-9 and nine by the time those games are done. Or they could, you know, they could go 4-1 and one or 3-2 and two in that stretch. It's a really, really interesting stretch coming up. Let's take a look, though, at the last couple games here. Uh, you know, the last time we, we talked, we were going deep into John Kaiser. And uh, then Valpo went to Indiana State. And really, just the game got out of hand, you know, pretty quickly for Valpo. Um, you know, gave up the first couple baskets and, you know, came back and, and, uh, and, and fought a little bit. But then in the, in the, middle, of the uh, middle of the first half there, it's uh, Indiana State just started getting the ball inside routinely. And, uh, and really, Valpo was stuck on 12 for a long time, about six minutes there. And Indiana State opened it up and got it to 21-12. And then Valpo kind of clawed back in a little bit, got it down to six. But then very, I mean, boom, boom, boom. Rickman in the paint. Rickman a dunk. Key a three-pointer. All of a sudden, it's 28-15. And uh, they take a 32-21 lead at the break. 
And then it says, okay, if you start fast in this in the second half, maybe you got a chance. And there's Jordan Barnes scores right away, but then Valpo comes back with a couple of baskets, gets it to ten. But then another kind of long stretch of not not doing a whole lot. Golder gets a shot, Lavender with a three pointer, but they couldn't stop Indiana State. And ultimately, you know, the Sycamores just put you know put the foot down and uh, and take this one seventy to fifty three. Saki was held scoreless in 22 minutes. Golder and Smith each had 14. Kaiser did what he does: six points, four rebounds, a couple of assists. Freeman, you know, did all a couple little things: two blocks, a steal, and assist, three rebounds, but only six points in that game. And and uh, you know, coming away from that, you you realize, well, God, at least you know, Golder again, a lot of points at the end of the game. Whereas, you know, Smits was kind of getting going in the first half. Smits had nine points. Nobody else had more than you know, Lavender at five. But, you know, only two guys that made multiple shots there in the first half. And and Golder, again, poured it on at the end, scored 12 of his 14 in the second half, but a little bit too little too late. Tyreek Key had 22 points, but Amandre Rickman, 12 points, was a beast inside Bronson Kessinger, 10 points, 14 points for Cooper Nice, the transfer from Butler. And uh, it was really just a, a, a methodical picking apart of Valpo. And points in the paint was 40 for Indiana State, 22 points off turnovers. After the game, Matt Lodick called the performance flat, unacceptable. And, uh, you know, it just he said, that's just not who we've been. We didn't compete very hard tonight. We didn't do the things that have allowed us to be, you know, basically in first place is what he was saying. And it was just a brutal, brutal game. Marcus Golder said afterwards, we just couldn't catch a break defensively. Uh, and what I liked about what Lodick said was, you know, we started scoring in the second half, but you don't get back by outscoring them. You have to get back in by getting stops. And they just couldn't do that. And uh, I thought that maybe the most pointed line afterward was when Lodick said, that was not who we are. That is not going to be a team I coach. We're going to learn from that. Okay, so then Valpo comes back, and they're going to take on Drake. This is, this is a get-well game for Valpo, right? You know, uh, you're missing Fizikas, and that's it. And this is a team that if you can take care of Nick McGlynn, you know, you got you got to account for the fact that DJ Wilkins, Tremel Murphy, and Anthony Murphy are probably going to be feeling it a little bit coming back home to Northwest Indiana, where they're from. Wilkins went to Merrillville. The Murphy twins went to Griffith. But this is a game that you really you got to you got to take care of. Even though Drake comes in at fifteen and five, they're good, but they're slipping. They don't have Nick Norton anymore. They're four and three in conference. Valpo's five and two. This is a big game for Valpo, right? And then. We find out I wasn't at this game. As a matter of fact, I had a, a death in the family, so I was at a, a celebration of life and uh, and and out of town. So it's one of the uh, the first D one games I've missed in a long time. I've missed one other one. Uh, my best friend turned forty, I believe, and uh, I was out in Vegas for the Alec Peters breaking the school scoring record. Saw saw Alec play. 90 times in person, it felt like, and uh, I missed the game that he broke the record. So, anyways, I, I missed the Drake game. Fine. So did Derek Smith's. Kind of a surprise. Matter of fact, Matt Loddick said after the game, he found out right before game time that Derek wasn't going to play. Now, we found out later on that Derek had said that he, he 
hurt his back the day after the Indiana State game. It, it, he, he hit it in a way. He didn't go to details, but he hit it, and he, he didn't practice much leading up to that Drake game. And he tried to give it a go two and a half hours before the game. He went through a workout, and it, I think they realized that he just wasn't going to be able to play in that game. Okay, so now he's out. Well, that's that's tough because McGlynn is a big guy, and, and Murphy obviously is, is can be – athletic inside so it it not having him means Jason Roy is going to have to step up probably Malik McMillan's going to have to slide over to the five or Kaiser who's also oddly played the five and Soroya you know 13 points five blocks four rebounds he played 28 minutes six seven from the floor and everything that we'd heard about his offensive game seemed to to come back and 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 work for him in that one but the tough one was uh was Golder had four rebounds in five minutes, three offensive rebounds, really looked like he was on his way to a big game, and uh, he gets hurt, goes down with an ankle injury. And that throws everything off. Now, you know, Dion Lavender and Bakari Evelyn have got to play a lot more, which they've already been playing a ton, but it was basically a five-man show in that game. You know, McMillan played 11 minutes, Kaiser played 15. Other than that, it was Freeman played all 40, Sackey played 37, Soroya with 28, and uh, and then you saw Lavender and, and Bakari each played 32 minutes off the bench. And Bakari, 3 of 14 from the floor, 2 of 8 from the three-point line. He did have six rebounds, but uh, it was just a, a bit of a struggle there. And Lavender, nine rebounds, did what he does, three assists at a block, but only two points, and, and that was a tough one. It was really interesting, the Drake game. I watched the second half on ESPN3, and granted, I watched it with very little sound and kind of from far away on a small laptop screen. And what I saw was a team that just looked like they didn't want to be there, right? Just didn't. That's what I saw. Now, I wasn't there. Let's let's be clear about this. And everything I'm seeing on Twitter is a bunch of fans who are there, and everything I'm seeing online and, and hearing is how complimentary everybody was of the hustle and the energy that Valpo displayed that night. It did not translate to the video, right? It just didn't look like, it just looked like a team running in quicksand and kind of, you know, in molasses. They just looked, they looked slow. They didn't, the offense looked stagnant. Obviously it's going to be stagnant. You don't have Fizikas, which he's been out for a while, but it's still the thing you got to account for and didn't have Golder and didn't have Smiths. Just a struggle for Valpo in that game. So they end up losing. DJ Wilkins was on one there. 20 points, six rebounds, four assists. Uh, really, really played well. Uh, both Murphys uh, at double digits. You know, 12 points for Anthony Murphy and nine rebounds and four assists off the bench in 30 minutes. And then Tramel Murphy, 11 points, eight rebounds and a block. They really, really kind of played well. And Valpo, you know, again, can't shoot. Two of 16 from the three-point line. Freeman and Saki and McMillan all missed a pair of three-pointers. Bakari, two of eight. And uh, and Deion Lavender and John Kaiser also missed a three-pointer. Um, just a tough, tough game for Valpo. And, you know, they only shot 37% and, you know, 47% from the uh, – was Drake from the floor. Uh, Valpo missed seven free throws in the game. And, in, you know, granted it was an 11-point loss, but it was close in the last couple minutes of the game, and those free throws could have been a big deal. And, you know, going back to the Indiana State game, 
um, looking at what they shot from from the line there, they were 13 of 16. So they were they they were good. Uh, and then comes the Missouri State game, and Valpo misses eight free throws in the game. Uh, Freeman missed one. Lavender missed three, including airballing a free throw in overtime, front end of a one and one. He hits that one, and he hits the one after that. That's that's you know. That's the ball game right there. Smith's missed three, and Soroya missed one. Eight missed free throws in a game that went to overtime and only you know finished 55-54. You can't do that. Smith's was 2 of 7 from the floor. Uh, Soroya was 1 of 4. A lot of misses inside. Valpo scored 26 points in the paint, but probably could have had 40 points in the paint with the amount of misses that they had. Freeman was unbelievable. 12 points, 15 rebounds, 2 steals. Uh, one assist. He took 12 shots, most shots he's ever taken. Up there, it's got to be up there with the most shots he's taken, but by far the most shots anyone from Valpo took in that game. Valpo changed their lineup, took Kaiser out of the starting lineup, put Lavender and Evelyn back in as Golder missed the game. Fizikas was again out. Smits played, fouled out in 13 minutes, had seven points and four rebounds, clearly still moving slow a little bit. This is a game Valpo should have won. Right, Missouri State came in with a sub-500 record. Valpo should have won this game at home against a team that you handled easily at their place uh, earlier in the year. And, uh, and you know, I, I, I say handled easily. I mean, Valpo won 82-66. to They blew them out. It was 46-24 at the half. Now, that was a different-looking team. You know, Keandre Cook only played 13 minutes in that game, and Cook played 41 in this game. He's find his flow a little bit, and he finished with a game-high 17 points, and he's the one who hit the two free throws to ultimately win the game down the stretch. I'll say this about the Valpo game, or Valpo team. 42 minutes from Freeman, 40 minutes from Saki. They both had double figures. They're winners. Those kids are winners. If they stay, and, and you have to say that in this college basketball landscape, but if those two guys stay, Valpo's got something special. You take Freeman and Saki, you throw in Gordon and Robinson, and you've got Fizikas for another year, and you've got the big guys coming back, provided they both do. Because, again, with, with guys graduating, you just you don't know. Somebody's going to leave this team, right? And, you know, college basketball transferring being what it is, you're going to lose one to 1.5 guys every year, if not more. And uh, Valpo's going to have some concerns there. And, and they don't have anybody signed for next year, which means that Valpo will probably, I would imagine, be dipping into the grad transfer market, much like, you know, they're going to get dipped into, I would think. But anyways, my point, Freeman Liberty and Saki were, were very good, right? Two assists, no turno- no turnovers in 40 minutes of play from Saki against Missouri State. That's that's good. 15 rebounds of Freeman. He was everywhere, and and he made some amazing plays. That I just a couple times through the game, I just tweeted Javon Freeman. Wow, Javon Freeman, more man than freshman. Kind of a take on the CBS Sports guy John Rothstein coming up with ridiculous phrases to say after each name, and uh, and and Freeman was was on fire. So Valpo drops that game 55-54, a crushing, heartbreaking defeat in front of 1,300 people at the arc. And, uh, and Valpo falls to 5-4 and four in the conference. They are in the middle of the pack right now. 
And if you look at the standings of the Valley, it's it's just kind of interesting. Loyola's kind of separated themselves a little bit at the top. They're six and two, right? They're they're where we thought they would be. Excuse me, seven and two now at the midway point. We're at the halfway point of the conference. Illinois State six and three had a feeling they were they were going to be up there. And then you've got Drake, Valpo, and Missouri State who are all five and four. If Valpo would have won those two home games against Drake and Missouri State, games you felt they should have won, they'd be seven and two, and those teams would both be four and five. And four and five is where we see Southern Illinois and Northern Iowa. And then there are three teams who are tied for last right now: Indiana State, Bradley, and Evansville. Bradley started zero and five. They're now three and one in the last four games. I think um, Evansville's lost four in a row. They're eight and four at home overall, and one of nine on the road. Valpo's got a chance to go in there and, and, and get one here. And so Valpo has, we look at, you know, Valpo beat Illinois State. They've got a winning record. Valpo's lost to Drake and Missouri State and Loyola. All three of them have winning records in the conference right now. Valpo beat Southern Illinois. They beat Northern Iowa. And they beat Bradley, all teams that have got sub-500 conference records, and then they lose, obviously, to Indiana State, and they've yet to play Evansville. They split with Missouri State, as a matter of fact. They've also beaten them. Long way to go, but I'll tell you this, and it feels, maybe I'm wrong, unlike any other conference year that I can really think of, and this dates back to the Horizon League, and and the Midcon was a different animal, because it was not really an animal at all, but... I don't really even – you want to avoid 7 through 10, so it's imperative that Valpo wins the rest of their home games. I think if they win the rest of their home games, they get to nine wins, they're going to avoid that 7 through 10 spot. But it, So it's imperative that Valpo, I think, gets to nine wins, and they got to find four more conference wins, and maybe they got to find five more conference wins. But it's imperative that Valpo avoids the 7 through 10 spot. Because that one, I mean, is just tough. Because then you're going to, if, even if you win that game, then you're matched up against probably Loyola or Illinois State, and they're fresh, and you're on your second game. But if Valpo finishes anywhere one through six, and, you know, probably three through six is, or two through six right now is, is, I don't think anyone's catching Loyola. I don't really think it matters. Like, I don't know that the second place team is any better or worse than the sixth place team in this league or the th- the second place team and the fifth place team or whatever. So this conference tournament is going to be a wild ride, right? And yes, you want to, to, you know, people are saying the season's slipping away from Valpo. You got to get these guys back and all of that. We'll touch on the injuries in a second, but I, I, I just think this tournament's going to be so wide open two through nine, really two through 10 Loyola is going to be there at the end. And it's about getting to that final game against Loyola and and hoping that, you know, you you've got enough in enough juice to get there. Uh, seeding's important, yeah, but we're not, no one in this league is going to the NIT. John Templin at, at NY Buckets on Twitter, uh, who does a lot of the NIT projections, just said that, you know, there's nobody in this league right now that's got a good enough resume to get an at-large bid to the NIT, which that also means, obviously, no one's getting an at-large bid to the NCAA tournament. So it anybody can beat anybody here. And look, Loyola, as much as I'm anointing them and telling you that they're great right now, they just got beat by 35 to Missouri State. 
They beat Northern Illinois, or they beat Northern Iowa at home by one in a game where they only committed four fouls and Northern Iowa only shot four free throws. So uh, Northern Iowa probably should have won that game. Cameron Crutwig get a three pointer late in the game, which which provided a little bit of separation. And Northern Iowa, I think, hit a three at the buzzer, which made it look closer. But still, Northern Iowa could have gone into into Loyola and won that game. Northern Iowa, of course, a team that Valpo led wire to wire at home. And Missouri State destroyed Loyola in a game that Valpo had previously destroyed Missouri State. So this conference is is odd this year. And I don't, I, you know, the seeding is important and all of that. You want to avoid 7, 8, 9, or 10. You really do. But after that, really, what it, it you know, it's, it's matchups. And so... You could you could be the six seed and be in a better position than a four or five seed, right? You know, just depending on matchups. And so it's too early right now to get into all of that. Yes, do you want Valpo to be a one or two seed? That would be ideal. But any three through six is all kind of a, a, a glob. Okay, let's. Uh, there's two things else I want to talk about here today. I want to talk about these injuries, and then I want to talk about a really interesting report that Jeff Goodman just put out on WatchStadium.com. You know, Jeff Goodman used to work for ESPN. He's moved over to Watch Stadium or to, to Stadium is the is the the company, and uh, he just created a uh, a thing called the Conference Chain of Command. It's this a series of articles where they interview a couple of veteran coaches in the league to rank each team in the conference based on what's the most, uh, what's the best job. And it's a really kind of fascinating report, which I'm going to get to in a second. But i got to talk about these injuries and, and the fallout from them with uh, in regards to some criticism I've seen of Matt Loddick as of late, which, uh, you know, i got to tell you, part of it is, I want to criticize him, but part of it is just unfair criticism because of the nature of how this whole thing works. I went on a little Twitter rant about this yesterday at NWI Orin on Twitter. Uh, follow, favorite, like, all that stuff. Do I get any money for it? Absolutely not. Does it feed my ego? 100%. Anyway, so uh, the, the the episode of this, uh, the, the name of this episode is entitled uh, Progressing Poorly. Because that's what Valpo is doing. They've lost three straight games. But it's, it's again, it's a take on Matt Loddick, who whenever we ask about Fizikas and now Golder, it's they're progressing nicely. And he got a lot of criticism on social media yesterday when I tweeted out that, that Matt Loddick says these two players are progressing nicely. Look, Ryan Fizikas has been day-to-day for three months, or no, it's three weeks or whatever. It feels like three months. That's the Valpo MO, Right. They don't, they don't reveal anything about injuries. I don't know if it's a Lodic thing because it's been going on longer than him. I don't know if it's an Aaron Levitt thing because he's been the sports information director for a long time. I don't know if it's an athletic training staff thing. The athletic trainers have changed over time. I don't know if it's a Markle Barber thing. I don't know if it's something beyond. I, maybe it's not related to any one of those individuals, right? Like, for our purposes, Aaron does a good job of kind of letting us know what's going on a little bit here and there. But uh, injured players aren't made available for comment. And uh, Aaron, I've said this to him, and I've said this before, Aaron loves hockey. So he likes to have some fun with upper body injury, lower body injury, and those kind of distinctions. But that's, I mean, a lot of times we don't even get distinctions of what's going on. Keith Carter 
had an injury for forever, and we never, you know, we, we it was a dislocated toe, which I think we found out later on. I still don't know what he got hurt in the game against. I think it was the toe again at George or the George Washington NIT Championship game. He came out of the game, and I don't. I mean, I don't know that we ever got a, a distinction. At least the media, the the print reporters, the TV people were told right away what was going on. But that's just kind of, you know, I guess it sucks to be a loyal beat reporter and it doesn't suck to be a ESPN network that comes in for one day, you know, out of the year. Anyway, I digress. Here's my point about injuries. That's going to be taken like I'm, I'm shady towards ESPN. And you know what? I guess I kind of am. Uh, so I, I, I digress. Here's the deal. What does Matt Lodick owe me or the other reporters or really the fans when it comes to updating us on injuries? There's an argument that can be made that fans deserve being told who's going to be available to play because, you know, I like I think about this in the NFL. If, uh, you know, should you be paying full price for games that the stars aren't playing in? The NBA does this a lot too, right? You know, um, you're a family that doesn't have a ton of money, but the Lakers are going to come to town and it's their second night of a back-to-back, but... Uh, you know, you're in you're in Memphis and you've got a 10-year-old kid who loves LeBron and you, you know, the Grizzlies are going to charge a bunch of money because the Lakers are coming into town with LeBron. And so you, you've got all, you've got all this money that you saved up to get these tickets for your 10-year-old so he can see his favorite player play. And then you find out 30 minutes before the game that LeBron has a and maybe, I mean, I know LeBron has been hurt. This is a hypothetical, but LeBron's got a, you know, a, a thigh injury kind of out of the blue. And all of a sudden now LeBron's not going to play. And, you know, what do you say to your 10-year-old kid, right? Like who's crushed that they don't get to see their hero play because LeBron gets paid millions of dollars and he's a professional athlete and he should sack up and be able to play the second day of a back-to-back, right? I don't – so – my 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 point there is that again these these college kids are not professional athletes they don't get paid millions of dollars they don't play back to backs either but my point in all of this is that you know i do understand that there's a bit of like you should probably let people know who's injured and who's not and who's going to play and who's not but also the job of the lakers and the job of valpo and the job of all these teams is to win games and you got to win games however way you can look about it is there any validity to the gamesmanship aspect? So we know that Fizikas has an ankle injury. We know that he's still in a walking boot. We know that Golder's got an ankle injury, and he didn't have a boot on the other day, and he walked into the arc yesterday without crutches and without any kind of boot on. You know, one would imagine that he is progressing nicely. But what does that mean? I don't know what that means. But does Lodic have to tell us? I asked the other day, has a determination been made about whether or not those two are going to play at Evansville? He said, no, a determination has not been made. Does he have to make that determination to the fans, to the media? Can he just say they're day-to-day? Oh, I mean, we're all day-to-day. Act accordingly, I think, is a, a Vince Scully line. Or, or, or we're all day-to-day. We should plan accordingly or something like that. Here's my point. I get the frustration fans have by not getting updates. I see it on my timeline and on my phone all the time, people are constantly 
messaging me, sending me private messages. Do you have an update of these guys? First of all, if I had an update on these guys, I would say it publicly and I would, I would get the scoop, so to speak. Um, I'm probably not going to private message somebody their injury status if I've not publicly messaged their injury status, right? Like, I don't know anything more than what I put out there. So that's, but that said, I'm never going to complain about people who are reaching out to me and asking me because that's you guys basically acknowledging that I can do this job and I, I might have the answer. I don't. Uh, all I know is they're progressing nicely. And, and a lot of people were criticizing Lottick the other day. He should come up with a new way of saying it. or whatever. I, You know, I, I whatever. We got to ask the questions. He's got to answer the questions. Neither one of us are doing our jobs if we're not participating in that discourse. But he doesn't owe me anything when it comes to me asking about these things. You know, he owes Valparaiso University the, the, the opportunity to field the best team possible and to go win games. He owes it to his players to protect them in whatever way they can. I heard rumblings of the fact that, okay, Derek's got a back injury and maybe no one wanted that news to get out because it might hinder his professional prospects. First of all, that's a load of crap. Uh, the NBA and all other professional organizations have doctors that are going to be able to figure out that a guy who's 7'2 has got a hurt back. I don't think there's any, any like, we got to keep this quiet because it, he, he might get hurt. But even if there was, or, you know, it might hurt his his overseas or draft prospects but even if there was doesn't isn't it Lodic's responsibility to protect his players right so I you know I just I think this is all overblown if if Lodic is going to say that they're progressing nicely fine at least he's saying something right I mean David Chadwick had to be carried off the court by his teammates and the next day Bryce Drew didn't say anything about his injury status right so you know, sometimes people comment on injuries, sometimes they don't. The athletic trainer at Valpo doesn't, I mean, they fall, I mean, Valpo loves HIPAA laws more than they love bad seventh grade basketball at halftime, right? They love hiding behind this term HIPAA laws, right? What When are HIPAA laws applied and when aren't they? Why are some teams able to come out and say, um, this guy's got a broken leg, you know, Darius Garland's got a torn meniscus, he's out for the rest of the year. How come Vanderbilt's allowed to say it, but the players aren't? Did Garland sign a form saying you can disclose my medical history? If that's the case, then then maybe that's just what it is, right? Um, I, you know, I, I don't really know the answer. I've rambled on a lot. My, my, my point is to say this. I don't think it's a big deal if the coach doesn't want to go into specifics about an injury. Just tell me if he's going to play or if he's not going to play. And when we interviewed Lodic on Thursday— Two days before the game, he may not know. Now, for Lodic to come out and say that I found out right before the game started that we weren't going to have Derek Smiths, that's a little suspect. But, you know, someone tweeted the other day that that either Lodic doesn't know the injury status or he's or he has no problem lying to the media. Um, you know, I, I, I don't really – I guess I don't really take it as a lie. It goes back to an, an interesting question that was posed to Nick Saban when he was the head coach of the Miami Dolphins, he was asked, are you interested in, or are you going to take the Alabama job? And if he would have come out and said, yes, I'm going to take the Alabama job, everyone would have criticized him for quitting on the Dolphins in the middle of the season. And if he would have said, no, I'm not going to take the, the Alabama job, and then he ultimately did, everyone would have said that he was lying. 
Uh, sometimes some questions just don't get the answers that we want to have. Yes, when I ask what's Ryan Fizikas' status, I would like him to break down that, you know, the swelling's gone down and blah, 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 and he's going to play or he's not going to play. Same thing with Golder. I, you know, we constantly ask, is there a timetable? And we're constantly told, no timetable, progressing nicely. That's all they really have to say, right? That's, I, you know, I, I get where people are frustrated. I truly do. But at the same time, it just, to me, it feels like it's just people being mad about, about something, right? So, uh, you know, I, I don't know. It's a tough one. Let's talk about this Jeff Goodman piece, the, the conference chain of command. Now, there were eight categories that they looked at. Here, here's what it says here. They pulled a handful of veteran coaches in every league to determine the best jobs in each league, all the way down to the ones that are the most difficult. And they have eight criteria. Tradition, media exposure, game atmosphere, budget resources, buy games, meaning which programs are being bought the fewest number of times. Basically, if you get bought a lot, I guess that's a knock on your team. And... Because, you know, like, I don't know that Butler is going in and getting bought by a lot of people. I don't know that uh, that Gonzaga gets bought. Like, Gonzaga buys people now, right? Being bought, basically. So Valpo got bought twice this year. They went to Texas A&M. They got a chunk of change for going down there. They probably had SEC refs, and, you know, they didn't really, you know, they're going to they get paid to go in and lose. And they also got bought at West Virginia this year. I think they got about 100000 for each game. I'm not exactly sure the numbers, but um, Valpo's actually ranks last in buy games here. Um, and uh, Evansville right behind them, then Indiana State are the bottom three there. Um, I, I don't really know that that's a category that really should be put into this, but but it basically is saying that it makes it a hard job when you've got to go, you got to give up two or three games a year to go get beat, and you got to raise money that way. Uh, geographical recruiting base, facilities, and then selling pros. It says being able not to sell not only NBA players, but also those who play overseas. And so that is uh, uh, that was the rankings, and they ranked everybody. And then they went through, they talked to uh, head coaches and assistant coaches throughout the league, and then they, they broke down a lot of different things. So they said the best job in the conference was Illinois State. The Redbirds have gone to the NCAA tournament six times, although they haven't gone in the last 20 years. Um, they talked about, uh, the last four coaches have not been able to get them there, but somebody said they're just solid and everything. They got commitment. They got fan base. They have a recruiting base. They have a budget and they have good campus life there. Um, the, an assistant said expectations. They are a little out of whack. It's the best job in the league now, but that's changed over the last couple of years with the loss of Wichita and Creighton, Illinois state ranked number one in game atmosphere, budget resources, recruiting base, ability to sell pros. I've had a lot of guys who've kind of gone pro overseas. I don't know how many NBA guys they have, but truth be told, I've not followed the conference all that much. So I don't know exactly who, you know, who's all out there. Um, they're, so they're number two in media exposure. Uh, you know, how many games are on national television and they were, uh, number two in buy games and then uh, number three in facilities, number six in history and tradition. So I'll give you the top three. Illinois State, Bradley, and Northern Iowa. Bradley is number one for history and tradition. It says much of the history came in the 1950s, but this is still a program that's gone to the NCAA tournament eight times, including the Final Four, but they've only gone once since 1986. I I didn't know Bradley had much of a history, to be honest with you. 
uh, and I'm sure I'm gonna I'm gonna hear it from the the Bradley fans that may have somehow gotten to minute 34 of this podcast, but I I, I didn't realize that Bradley had a tradition or a history. And again, I don't know much about the the Valley teams. So in terms of history tradition, they had Bradley one. Southern Illinois, two, Northern Iowa, three, and then Valpo, number four. Well, Valpo's been to the tournament a ton, right? Illinois State, you know, is, as they said, is the best job. They haven't been to the tournament since 98. Uh, Bradley has been to the tournament once since 1986. Now, Northern Iowa's been to the tournament a ton, you know, four times in the last 10 years, basically. They've gone eight times total. But, you know, for me, Valpo, they've gone to the NCAA tournament, they say, yeah, six times, 96, 97, 98, 99, 2000, uh, 02, and 04. That's actually, this is, uh, I said the Crusaders are going to the NCAA tournament six times. No, they've gone four times, five times this century, and then four times before that. That's nine. They, they, there's a typo here. I've got a typo. Anyways, uh, okay. Media exposure, Northern Iowa has got is number one there. Game atmosphere, Illinois State's number one. Budget resources, Illinois State. Uh, buy games, Missouri State, I guess, doesn't get bought. Illinois State's number one in recruiting base with Loyola right behind them. Um, facilities, Missouri State seems to have number one. And selling pros, Illinois State, we talked about that. Okay, where does Valpo rank in all of these? Uh, history tradition, they rank fourth out of ten. Media exposure, they rank eighth out of ten. And, uh, okay, so g- games on national television, that's that's the thing. Apple's got a handful of games, and certainly now that, you know, seems that they don't get a lot of non-conference games on national TV unless they go and get bought and they end up on the SEC network or something like that. Game atmosphere, Valpo's a 10. We'll get to that in a second. Budget resources, there are six. They're right in the middle of the conference. Buy games, we're talking about, is kind of irrelevant to me, but they're ranked 10th out of 10. Recruiting base, four. I mean, that proximity to Chicago is great, and they were really able to experience some success as of late because they were able to tap into Chicago and getting Roger Powell and now Todd Townsend here, um, you know, Emmanuel Dildy, guys that are from the Chicagoland area are, are, are good. Facilities is a 10, and selling pros is a 7. I take umbrage with the fact that they say selling pros is a 7 out of 10. How many other teams have had a couple guys go to the NBA as of late? I mean, Brokoff's in the NBA now. Alec Peters was in the NBA last year. Um, Valpo seems almost all of their players go pro now, It's it seems like. Um, I think they should be a little bit higher in that capacity. Okay, what does it say about Valpo? What do they say? Uh Valpo has some history, but the facilities and game atmosphere are ranked dead last. A Missouri Valley head coach said it's in a good spot about an hour from Chicago and two from Indy. The program also has a national brand because of the Drew family and the fact that they won a bunch in their previous league. The knock on Valpo, an assistant coach said, facilities, they suck. Okay, Valpo's ranked 7th out of 10. Here's the, here's the overall order here. Illinois State, Bradley, Northern Iowa, Missouri State, Loyola, Southern Illinois, all jobs better than Valpo, according to Jeff Goodman. Then Valpo at seven, and then the three jobs lower, Indiana State, Drake, and Evansville. Okay. The good news for Valpo is all three of the things they rank last in feel like they're things that they can improve upon. The buy games is, again, silliness. I just I don't think it's a good thing, but... If you're getting bought, that means you're getting money into your program, so that should help. Facilities, they rank 10th. 
no doubt about it, Valpo needs a new facility. I look at facilities and I look at Loyola. They're ranked 7th, the Gentile Center. I mean, that would have been 10 before. Um, Missouri State has the best facility, then Bradley, then Illinois State, then Northern Iowa, then Evansville, then Drake, then Loyola, Southern Illinois, and Indiana State. Southern Illinois, maybe they don't have a practice facility. Is that their problem? Um, they, uh, or, or something like that. They, uh, the school is struggling. It says the school is really struggling financially and enrollment has taken a hit, said an assistant coach. Maybe they do have a practice facility. One of, uh, one of the schools out here, it said they did not have one, which was a, uh, which was a struggle for them. So that said, Valpo, they're struggling with facilities, right? Which in turn leads to game atmosphere. The game atmosphere at Valpo is atrocious. And it has been for a while now. It didn't used to be. The fans used to, especially the students would come out. We've talked about that. But I was sitting there the other day and I was just, I was listening to just randomly, they start playing Shout. All right. Do, do the fans care about this song? Do the students care about this song? It was like, it, it, the music is dated at, at best. And it's just, it's, you know, big moments in the game. Valpo goes on a bit of a run. They play Timber, which hasn't been relevant for years, but okay, fine. And then they immediately have to cut it off because they've got to have a debate between two students. You know, that was odd. I understand that was a one-off thing, but just it something's missing with the game atmosphere. I get their whole let's bring the seventh grade kids in and play basketball because it makes a lot of money for them, I'm sure, because the kids come in. I'd imagine that that gives exposure to these local middle schools and the parents are going to come and everyone's going to come see. But, like, it, it, it's just it's awful to watch. Give me a good halftime show. Bradley, I think, the other day had quick change that was there. And I know that – I understand that LaBarbera, I think, has said at one point – I want to ask him about this at the end of the year when we do our kind of exit interview with the athletic director. I, I feel like the entertainment at Valpo should be the game and that, like, no one's really coming to the game for the halftime entertainment. But if that's the case, then why is Valpo routinely shelled out money to bring Jim Cornelison in to sing the national anthem? If the entertainment is about the on-court product, then who cares who sings the national anthem? Right. So it seems to be a bit of a of a kind of, I don't know, a, a, a misstep there. I just I don't know what to do at halftime, but just bringing the kids out there to play is just it seems dull to me. Right. I, I will say this, maybe because it was more exciting because it was actually people that I knew or whatever. But when they had the intramural all star games at halftime of the women's basketball game the other day, that was fun to me. And that that seemed to be an interesting thing because it was just, that was more exciting basketball. But again, it, it didn't really matter. Um, do so, the, when I was a student at Valpo, the Jesse White tumblers would come in and it was amazing. Or they would bring in the running dogs and they would catch Frisbees or whatever. And it was exciting and there was energy infused throughout the arena. Game atmosphere is just, it's, it's just dull. Loyola, for whatever, I mean, I know they just went to the Final Four, but their students were in their seats an hour before the game and ready to go. And and Valpo's students, we've talked about this ad nauseum, but I'm not, like, you got to give people a reason to show up. And, and I don't know if it's the halftime thing or whatever, but it's certainly the game atmosphere has suffered immeasurably over the last three or four, five years. 
I don't know how to fix it. But to me, it is something that can be fixed, right? Like history tradition, you can't just fix that overnight. Media exposure, Valpo's getting on TV more and more and more. And Valpo has invested a ton of money and has done great work in this ESPN broadcast package. But because of the fact that they've done that, it's also for a fan base that hasn't ever really been used to be able to watch their games on TV. Now, why do I need to come to the game when it's freezing cold and, you know, a bunch of people are able to sit at home and watch the Missouri State game the other day instead of coming out and supporting the team? It was dangerously cold outside. I get it. Fine. Budgeting and resources. The more you win, the more you can up that a little bit. But Valpo is never going to be the top spender in the conference. They're right middle of the pack, which is probably where Valpo should aspire to be every year. Recruiting base is good. Facilities, if they could build a new facility, both facilities and game atmosphere would change. But you can change game atmosphere right now. There's just, you can just infuse some more life into the building, change the music, make it more modern, bring a DJ in or something like that. You know, now I understand people are, well, the, the, the chairbacks don't want loud music, whatever. I went to a Kentucky game. They had a DJ in there. It was awesome. Guess what? There are a bunch of older fans who were there who were excited too, right? Like if this is such an odd thing to me because I feel like if anyone were to say I'm not going to go to the game because the music's bad, I, you know, it just it seems like something just an easy fix, right? Just play better music and y- you know this the name that tune or or all right fans get on your seat, you know, get on your feet and you get to cheer for the next song that's going to be used during the next break. What? I don't need to to cheer for me, just play good music, right? And just and just and, and infuse the crowd with energy. And and I, I know Valpo makes money off, you know, all these different commercials they gotta run and everything like that, but it's just like it's a crowd killer. Infuse the crowd with energy. If you build it, they will come, right? I don't know. Maybe I'm way out of school and talking about this, but it feels like where Valpo lacks in the valley, game atmosphere and facilities are correctable problems. All right. And you need money. You, you need people to, to generate money to be able to build a new facility. Is it ever going to happen? Look, if it hasn't happened now, I don't know if it ever will. Right? Like, like you you had this run of success through the Horizon League. You you had this run of success through going to the NCAA tournament, the Sweet Sixteen, and all of that. I mean, what is it going to take for Valpo to break through and get a new facility? I mean, maybe maybe I just feel like you just need to eat the cost for a year or two. Go ahead and build it. and, and But it's probably unrealistic, especially in this day and age where schools are, are suffering financially all across the board. Southern Illinois, obviously, is, is in a big panic. I don't know. All right. Uh, great article. Make sure you check it out. Uh, watchstadium.com. Missouri Valley basketball coaches has been a breakdown of all of that. So uh, I rambled on a lot. That was a long 45-minute podcast of me rambling. Uh, Valpo's at Evansville and then at Illinois State. At best, if you can split these games, I think you're doing pretty well. If you can win both of them, I mean, we're going to dance next week on the podcast if they can win both. If they lose both, I I mean, it's bad because it would be a five-game losing streak, but also – do you expect to go in and win either one of these games? I don't know. I mean, I don't know that Valpo's going to be favored in either one of these games. Going on the road to Evansville, a place they haven't won in years. Uh, a Drew never won at Evansville. I can tell you that much. 
So it uh, it's going to be tough. It'll be a tough, tough game on Saturday. And then Valpo's got at, at Illinois State, who you know Illinois State's going to come out there saying, you only beat us because of a fluke. We're going to we're really going to step it up here. Um, I'll, I will, I'll be on the couch for the Evansville game and then I'll be at the Illinois state game. I'm looking forward to that. Illinois state fans are, are fantastic. I love those guys. Great, great fan base. And, uh, you know, probably not a surprise that they're number one for game atmosphere. They're really, really kind of fired up there. So, uh, it's very odd looking at this article that Jeff Goodman wrote. Valpo's going to the number 10, the worst job in the conference, uh, Evansville, uh, and then they are going to go to number one, Illinois State, and Valpo is seventh out of ten, right where they were picked to finish in the conference right now. So, okay, uh, be back next week right after the Illinois State game to talk about what's going on and get you ready for Valpo against Loyola at home on February 10th. Should be a good one. Thanks for listening. Thanks for following along. 